0: Welcome to The Institute, a podcast in the lives and works of fellows and friends of the Institute for the Arts and Humanities at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. I'm your host, Kristen Chavez. Today, I'm joined by actor and playwright, Samuel Ray Gates. Gates joined Carolina in 2017 as an assistant professor of dramatic art and a company member in Playmakers Repertory Company. Outside of his work in the classroom and on the Paul Green Theater stage, you may recognize him from one of his roles on the screen. Including the HBO Limited series The Staircase as Big Ray, and in the Hulu series Dopesick as Jermaine Spellman. Sam participated in the faculty fellowship program in fall 2023 as a legacy fellow with the Institute's Race, Memory, and Reckoning Initiative. Through the fellowship, he focused on When the Swelling Goes Down, a one person show that explores how a Black man manages distress amid a global pandemic and a racial reckoning through comedy. Sam, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you, Kristen great to be here.
0: Great. I do want to hear more about how you developed When the Swelling Goes Down, but first I want to take a step back. How did you come into acting and playwriting?
1: Mm. Good question. I, well, I I had a job that I hated. <laughs> <laughs> That's one way to start. <laughs> uh, yeah, I like to say that um, having a job that I hated was, was really uh, instrumental. It inspired me to consider uh, at that point, really, anything I thought I might like. Uh, I was in my early to mid-20s working for General Motors in a parts warehouse outside of Chicago. And uh, I was a super 20-something-year-old supervisor. And uh, I was in way over my head. And I thought, you know what? I, 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 there's just something that had been like a, just a, a, a voice that had just kind of just, what about acting? wanted and then it was seeing Denzel Washington's uh his films with Spike Lee back then that that also sort of sort of like wow i there's something that he's doing that i'm drawn to mm. but there were no actors in my family so i thought this is a terrible idea my father will not like hearing that um i'd like to become <laughs> become a, a struggling a a yeah uh, <laughs> become a struggling actor so I opened up the Yellow Pages when I was living in Chicago. I looked under A for acting and found Act One Studios. I took an acting class and fell in love with it. And I've been acting ever since. I left General Motors, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> and
0: just in case if that wasn't clear. Yes, I left that
1: good paying job and pursued a dream.
0: Well, in addition to acting, you've also done a lot of um, stand up comedy, mm-hmm. if, I, if I'm right. And When the Swelling Goes Down was, I guess, born more out of that kind of routine?
1: Yeah. So what happened was I started doing stand-up after I had been an actor for professional actor for maybe five or six years. And I, I, I was really frustrated. And I thought, I, I've always loved stand-up comedy, but, the, you know, it's not one of those things that you just, to me, that you just go, you know, I think I'll try stand-up. Mm-hmm. Um acting is is tough enough, you know, but then stand-up is like you're doubling down. But similar to acting, stand-up was sort of calling me, and I began going to open mics in New York City. That's where I was living. And uh, sort of seeing what that world was like. I was like, it's pretty straightforward. You sign up, you get up there, and, you know, you you, you give it a shot. And um, so I started <laughs> started doing stand up comedy in uh in New York City and 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 failing failing a lot. But what I loved about it is that I didn't need anyone's permission to do it. Mm-hmm. Um with acting, you're always sort of waiting for someone else to hire you. Mm-hmm. You know, sure, if you know how to write, you're a good writer, you can write your own material, your own films and tell I me mean, you can do that, but that wasn't part of, my, part of my training, and it wasn't a part of my identity. I didn't see myself as a writer. I saw myself as an actor, as an interpreter. Well, stand-up was great because um, I could control when I did it. And I learned, to, I learned how to write. I learned how to write stand-up. I studied it a lot. I studied my favorite comedians, Richard Pryor. To Richard Pryor, to me, he, he was such a great actor as well and in his stand up he does a lot of acting um in fact i mean stand ups act things out you mm-hmm. know to 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 add to the sense of you know to the to make it funnier but i mean he really uses his body um and i thought wow that's uh i have that i have that in my in my in my toolkit you know a talent for um physical comedy that's something that i, I I do naturally. I do that well naturally. If I thought if I could also (laughs) write some jokes uh, to combine with that, then maybe I could, you know, uh, I'd be really funny. And when the swelling goes down is that. It comes out of, let's see, summer of 2020. The plan, I would say this time, uh, 2020, I I was planning to go to New York that summer and take all of the material that I had written over... Uh, the previous eleven or twelve years oh, wow. at open mics in in in, in, in New, York, New York City and a little bit here once I'd moved here, but my plan was to work with a movement coach to help me find what I call the physical punctuation of the piece and a through line. If there was a way to connect mm-hmm. this material, there were themes. I mean, I knew what I knew what many of them were, but the pandemic. And the murder of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and Ahmaud Arbery completely changed the piece. It didn't even have a title at the time. Mm. Um, I mean, when the Swelling Goes Down is its title now, and it's the perfect title. It's, I don't think like, it's not gonna change. I don't see it changing. But the other two titles, one of them was Monuments. Mm. One of the things I was very much moved by was the, the Silent Sam protests Which were right out here. That was my very first semester at UNC, and so at the beginning of the pandemic, I was thinking about, or even before that, I was thinking a bit about, you know, memory and and how markers, how a marker, or or a a sculpture in this case, or or a um, how an object marks a place, and. And, and these markers they 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 are um we imbue them with values right with our with with someone's values and so I was playing with this question of well when you remove a marker do 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 those the values are the that are associated with the place do they remain for people that are that know the history for example so I was playing with that mm-hmm. and with being I mean, with being an African-American and traveling having the experience of traveling and uh, being in situations where I was frequently the only one or one of a handful of African-Americans. And so these were things that I was already, you know, already had material and that that was sort of kind of running through my head. But the summer of 2020 happened and um, it was just, it it became really clear, Mm -hmm. really clear.
0: Can you talk a little bit more about, I guess, where the, the new title came from and kind of what that speaks to thematically?
1: Yeah, definitely. It speaks to. Um, I love this. This it's uh, it's called a, a, a poultice. P O U L T I C E. But I, I just I can't, I've, I can't. Gosh, it's like a, I. I'm a very visual person, mm-hmm. so I can see what it looks like. So yeah. I, I won't. I, I probably won't describe it. Uh, may not describe it all that well. But what I see is this. This it's, just, it's a it's a bag, and it's filled with herbs and you place it on the surface. So if there's a wound or uh, a person is ill, but you would place it, it would be placed on the surface of the skin and it draws the toxins to the surface mm-hmm. for healing. And so uh, early on, I thought, oh, POTUS, POTUS, you know, President of the United States, oh, I could play ah. with that because there was an election that was coming up mm-hmm. um, in, uh, in the fall of 2020. Um, and then I let that go, but I thought POTUS is something about whether it's a marker or a monument, that it brings things to the surface or uh, the experience of being an African-American, being a predominantly white university, a predominantly white space, that there are always these other people, other things called the elephant in the room, but there are always these other things that, um, that are in the space and that works of art bring those things to the surface. They remind, or they remind you that they're there. And I thought, okay, so COVID, this pandemic, and these, it's bringing, and the murder of George Floyd, it's bringing all these things that have been there Mm -hmm. to the surface, and and there, you know, there were some folks who were, you know, that I know I talk about in the piece being the one black friend to 783 white people. And so uh, I'm talking about how a number of my 783 white friends were really shocked that you know that it was like that this happened and that that there was a history of of of, of African Americans being murdered by unarmed uh, African Americans being murdered by uh, members of law enforcement and um, so I thought I need to I want to talk about my own experience of being in predominantly white spaces and trying to negotiate the the world that I'm from. Mm-hmm. And, and and this particular situation, and it needs to be funny because I always find a lot of humor humor in these very dark spaces. Um, so you asked me about the, how I how I how I came to the title that the piece would the piece would 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 bring the would bring these matters these issues to the surface in a humorous way for collective healing. The idea is that it wouldn't just like a lot of works of art or even um, some of the stand-up comedy that I've seen, the artist or the comedian um, brings these things into the space, but you don't necessarily, then you go home, it's over and you go back to your car and it's over, and the, sw- I mean, the swelling sort of goes back down. There's an opportunity when it's when you bring it up, when it's in the space, to address it, to process it, to collectively process it. And, and in that way, maybe actually Move forward, move beyond move into uh into the direction of a of a, of asking questions that we haven't asked yet solutions that we haven't uncovered yet.
0: Thank you for sharing that. I do have um one question along those lines, and you talked about how you find humor in those dark spaces and using it as um you know collective healing. This is probably more of a personal question, but in developing and performing it, um, how has that kind of helped you personally, if you don't mind sharing?
1: No, not at all. So during my fellowship, I performed. turned out it ended up being a, a nine-show residency at the School of Social Work. It was amazing. Wow. And uh, um, the administrator, Deborah Barrett, who's also a social worker, who invited me to to perform a segment of the piece. She said to me one day I, I was there rehearsing. She said, "Would you like an would you like an audience? Would you like?" I was like, "Yeah, I love an audience. That's what I do in a, in a, in an open mic or a comedy club mm-hmm. is I write on stage. I come with some ideas, but then it's great to have an audience to try things out with." And she brought students and faculty men, members and administrators, social workers from 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 the School of Social Work that I performed in front of. And afterwards, we would we would talk about the piece. And what I'm discovering is is that that is when that's very healing for me because I'm sharing things that are very personal. And even if I'm abstracting them or, you know, changing names, you know, uh, I am revisiting the feelings, the thoughts and the feelings that I had summer of 2020 and even that I've had throughout my life in relationship to these uh, issues of race and and homophobia and... and, and, um, and so to perform it and then hear from audience members how moved they are by it and when they begin to share their own stories or associations with what I'm talking about, I feel less alone. When I hear some of them say that they feel less alone that, or they realize, or sometimes I mean, that happens with laughter, people you are mm-hmm. laughing together, sort of a recognition that you know, there's some agreement. But when you actually talk about it and you actually put it into words, you really know you really know that. Oh wow! I thought that very same thing, or I couldn't quite put it into words, but they did.
0: Great, thank you for sharing that. Um, you also performed um, when the swelling goes down as part of the process series, too, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, how did that kind of experience help inform like this next iteration? Along with that, um, with the school of Sof- social work, I guess what has, how has it been able to take shape in a different way, mm. or has it?
1: Oh, absolutely. So the Process Series was this time January-ish, February-ish of 2021,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? And I don't even know if I had, I think it had a different title then. I don't think I had, I don't know, I don't think it was titled, I think it was titled Monument Steel, I'm not sure, It could mm-hmm. be wrong, but, but in terms of the iteration, um, iterations, I, so I performed, that was seventy-five minutes. I performed that in a friend's living room. Oh wow! And it was recorded, and I decided to stream that because I actually had an audience. Because that was a that was a big in terms of the development of the piece. The fact that due to lockdown, you actually couldn't couldn't get in front of audiences, mm-hmm. and so I actually was I actually did some work out here. Um, with a somatic therapist right out here near the silent sam site mm-hmm. and that helped me to write some material so then um process series was like the first time wow this is, i'm i'm kind of stopping and starting because so many so many thoughts and feelings are flooding back to me mm-hmm. um particularly just the all the protocols you know of how many people could be in the space and sort of so- and how that was shaping certainly shaping my my thinking in fact, I ended up writing quite a bit because of that writing quite a bit about the fact that I had spent lockdown um by myself
2: hmm.
1: uh alone, and that this performance, which was happening in a friend's living room, I was seeing people who it was a big deal for us to be together, we hadn't seen each other in a while and that that really shaped shaped the piece in terms of me thinking more about after especially after getting their feedback about what we're going through um, how lockdown is impacting us in the current moment but it's also impacting and shaping what it is how we perce- how we're perceiving the near future what we want mm-hmm. right and so then that's next summer of 2021, I was actually able to go to New York and work with the movement director okay. on the physical punctuation of the piece. And then I, that's around the time I think I i had the I had the title when the swelling goes down. I think it was after that. I'm not sure, but I think I think it was after that. Um, yeah.
0: That's great. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, um, Yeah. Yeah. So,
1: I have long answers. <laughs> it's no, this is
0: great. I okay. think this is what a podcast should be, right? Oh, okay, good. <laughs> um, so flash forward to fall 2022, mm-hmm. um, when you're in the middle of the faculty fellowship program, mm-hmm. um, where you also were able to take more time to d- you know develop this further. Can you share what that process was like for you?
1: When I got here for my fellowship last fall, the script was really tight i'd written and refined i would say it was the first half of the piece and i knew i had at least another hour of unrefined material from the process series that i wanted to spend the fellowship on mm-hmm. so i knew i knew that i was going to set aside the first hour of material that i spent the prior 2 years working on and i was going to work with another coach another director on the physical punctuation and layering there are all these characters so i really wanted to make them distinct. Mm. Uh, I I do like my grandfather, myself at different ages, my father. Um, And again, finding the physical punctuation of the piece, the physical humor. Um, I also, I consulted with some people who are really, really great directors, really, really insightful people I've had conversations with over the years, not about my piece, but about some of the themes Mm -hmm. around race and, and, and so on and so forth. And I gave it to one of them before the fellowship to get, and it worked out perfectly. The feedback he gave me really sort of helped me to to direct and really narrow down because it was it was a lot of time and I hadn't had a fellowship before, and so trying to figure out how to best use the time was the most sort of one of the more challenging things. And um, there's this this thing of sort of like saying, okay, this. Peace does this, you know, it says this, I'm addressing this, right? And then you give it to people and you go, okay, this is what I say it's doing. Read it, listen to it. Is it actually doing it, Mm -hmm. right? Okay, so a a lot of what I want to do, I am doing, but I needed to go further. I needed to go further in terms of this matter of what it's like being in between being in between the sort of two world two worlds being african american american that world and also being african american in predominantly white situations and I, there are particular uh events from my life that I describe but I also needed to go deeper in terms of including some of the other the perspectives of some of the the, the white folks who are in these mm-hmm. particular scenarios to make it richer to really heighten the contrast
0: yeah Within the faculty fellowship, you know, you are in a space with people from all different disciplines and departments. What was that like with people that perhaps are not as familiar with, say, movement or acting or performance? Mm. Um, How did maybe that shift the perspective with a different audience?
1: Yes. In order to make the most of the situation, I needed to figure out how to articulate what kind of feedback would be useful, Mm -hmm. but I also needed to give some thought to my audience, like how do I describe, what do I need to explain, what information do I need to provide, or background information do I need to provide to them to help them understand what it is that I'm trying to do, and then um, ideally give me the best feedback that they could possibly give me based upon who they are and where they are sort of coming from. And because um, this particular, uh, as Andrew, my writing coach, I, I talked to him about it, you know, um, how to make the most of it. And Andrew said, you know, of all the audiences you ever, this piece is ever going to have, you're probably never going to have an audience quite like this one, you know, which is a, which is great, you know, great opportunity. Um, yeah, actually. I performed uh, the opening of the piece here for them
2: Hello.
1: so that they also I also supplied them with a with a recording of it. But I thought because it's something that happens, the, the interaction between the audience and, and myself is, is so important. I wanted to give them a, a little a little taste of that. I also wanted them to share with me what it brought up for them. Mm-hmm. If there was swelling, you know, or what? Who were the yeah. things that you know came to the surface surface for them? And uh, it was very, very, very useful. I'll say, you know, I had a, I had an epiphany during the fellowship. I hit a wall pretty early, sort of early on. I um, I didn't quite know what it was initially, but then uh, it came to me. I there's material that I plan to work on last semester that was, that I, and I titled it, The Gun Stuff. It was one of the things that I uh, did during the pandemic is that I seriously considered becoming a gun owner in response to murders of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, all of that. I mean, it, it, uh, I've written a lot of material about it, but then when it was time this past fall to revisit the circumstances that brought me to that place. It was really hard. I mean, I was—I uh, didn't anticipate that it would be that difficult to go back to. It just seemed like just a short, just a few years ago. Mm-hmm. It Wasn't how it, it was. Just that there were things that had not been processed. Um, they weren't. So that was my time to do it. I mean, yeah. even now as I'm trying to talk about it, I'm like. And it was interesting because it was seemed like it was a matter of, of ref- yeah it was reframing it the, epip- the epiphany was that it's not, I'm not focusing this semester on becoming a gun owner. It was also hard because of of because of um, Uvalde, mm-hmm. um, and then was another and then in Pittsburgh, mass shooting in Pittsburgh. So I really I'm really the, I want the piece for the piece to be. To be healing for as many mm-hmm. people as possible. I don't want it to do to do more harm. I don't want it to bring things to the surface and <laughs> people, you know, um, feel worse. Mm-hmm. So the epiphany was, ah, oh, it's not about becoming a, a gone gone. On. What I'm talking about in the piece is about becoming.
2: Mm
1: is about becoming it's about how it is the social forces it's about our conditioning what it is about the thing that throughout my life it is about the various my upbringing the environments the the markers you know my education the places and spaces that I have been in and how they shape one's becoming
2: mm-hmm.
1: and how something that has been absent is Coming together to consider what it is that we want to become mm. as individuals, but also as a society, as a collective. What do we, you know, rather than playing sort of whack-a-mole, like okay, do this, defund the police, and then do that. Well, don't defund the police. Do that. It's like, well, what do we, what do we want to become? And and so, it was very satisfying to see that. Oh, that's already in the piece. I'm already doing it. Mm-hmm. So. This particular bit about the gun is about I'm I'm wanting to share with an audience the fact that the social forces, the way that I am, you know, I'm trying to relate with them. And it actually makes sense when I do the calculation. It seems to make sense sometimes that I should become a gun owner, but I don't want to become a gun owner. Is that this, all that's happening, makes it seem like I must be crazy if I, as a black man in America, don't have one. Right? And so at the School of Social Work, I, in one of the talkbacks, one of the social workers said, black woman, she said, my husband is the exact same way. Mm. He is going back and forth. Should I get one? Should I not get one? Should I not? I'm like, that's what I want to do. I want us to... Collectively, so that we are all trying to negotiate. Let's do it. Let's let's do it together. Decide what do we want to become. What who do who and what do we need to become to live our best lives?
0: Yeah, it sounds like that really is like the theme. Yeah of of the piece. Yes. Yeah, I look forward to seeing where it goes next. So, our final question is a bit of a tradition on the podcast. Is there a book that has changed your life? I'll also open that up to kind of any kind of creative piece, really. You know, whether it's a film, a play, a performance. um, Has there been anything around those lines that have kind of spoken to you and shaped you?
1: Absolutely. The first thing that comes to mind is August Wilson's How I Learned What I Learned. Mm -hmm. It's a one-person show, uh, sort of a memoir piece. And I had the opportunity to perform it myself here at Playmakers, uh, last spring and it was so inf- it was informative I mean I've been a I teach August Wilson in my class here I, before I came to UNC I was already trying to I was already tr- developing um, I wanted to develop a, a, a curriculum that we use August Wilson's plays to to teach American history but really it was I, what I really wanted to do I was drawing from my experience working um, with incarcerated uh, boys and girls in New York City, and um, recognizing that mentorship is such a big part of it, so I was trying to, I was trying to figure out a way to kind of bring all these things together and um, so doing how I learned what I learned here i it was it's a one person show and I had had not done a one person show before, and i it was like this is amazing. It was basically like doing a master class with a master, you know with with August Wilson. And it answered so many of the questions that I needed to answer for my own piece, like how do you structure it? It turns out that August Wilson, in writing the piece, he and his dramaturg went to LA and listened to um, and watched Comedians. So I'm thinking like, wow, look at this. While I'm developing this piece, one of my hero, I get this opportunity to play one of my heroes I went to Pittsburgh, his hometown, to prepare for it. I visited all the sites that he talks about in all of his plays because he wrote 11 plays and 10 of them all, 9 of the 10 take place in the same neighborhood in Pittsburgh where he's from. So in working on his one-person show about his life, I was working on my own. I knew by the time I finished, I knew exactly what, it felt like to do, to hold the stage or hold an audience for 95 minutes and play all these different characters and go on these different directions, tell all these different stories and draw from your own, draw from my own life and even include some histories in it as well and make people laugh, cry, scream, shout, and jump for joy. The only thing it was missing, and the only thing, there was the other thing that it really inspired me to do. Actually, it affirmed for me that in this time that we're living in now, if a piece brings it's discussing race and gender. It's dealing with these things and it brings all these 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 issues to the surface. We ought not send people back off into the back home into the community without having. I got to tell this story. All right, <laughs> earlier after the third performance, it was during preview, so the show hasn't had opening night yet. Mm-hmm. Right, you get a couple of you get a couple of go you know performances in front of an audience for you and then you and the director director and the and the and the cast get to talk about hey you know. Here's what we learned from having a live audience after rehearsing it for a bunch of weeks. So I returned to the theater after the performance to talk to the director, Tia James, Letitia James, who was one of my colleagues in the Department of Dramatic Arts, was my director. And I come back down to have notes to talk about how I went that night. So all the patrons have left. Well, a one, one of them re-enters the theater. It's a white woman, middle-aged, and she's crying. Her face, face is flush with tears. So of course we stopped to go in and just say, hey, was everything all right? Thinking maybe she left something in the theater or keys or what have you. And she said, you know, this is my first time back in the theater. I said, like, oh, right, because of COVID. And um, she said, I've been coming to Playmakers for years. And this is my first time back without my theater going buddy. And we would have been s- sitting over there. She would have, they would have been with me. And this person had recently passed away. Mm. And she said, they would have loved this. Then she paused and she said, you know, sometimes you just don't know when it's okay to laugh. Mm. And I thought, yeah, okay, I'm on to something. Because when I was performing that show, August Wilson, right, he uses the word nigger. And while I was performing the piece, it brought up something i've been thinking about a long time which is, is when you in using that word it's doing a lot of work and to use it to be saying it now i mean he wrote the piece 10 years ago 11 years ago and he's since passed on but to do it now is to it bring all this stuff up to the surface i, like, I know that there are african americans people in, from my community in this audience who don't typically come to Playmakers. I know there are way more African-Americans during the run of that show because of the subject matter. And I know that some of them are sitting in the audience and there are jokes that I'm telling that some of them are thinking, what are white folks doing laughing at that? You shouldn't be laughing at that. Why are you laughing at that? I don't feel comfortable laughing if they're laughing. If I don't want to laugh because then they may think it's okay for them, I'm not, right? Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And I thought, it was an opportunity missed. Mm-hmm. That woman who returned to the theater and said sometimes you don't know when it's okay to laugh. A friend of mine, I did like my own little sort of a survey, I asked friends who who, who, come, who come and seen it, African-American friends who come and seen it, and I told them this story, and, and they said, you know, my son, he said during the show, I was like, mommy, what are they doing? That's not, why they, they can't laugh at that sort of thing, I thought we have to people should and you can't make people stay and have the conversation but we mm-hmm. ought to offer there's an opportunity in terms of who in terms of what we are becoming because of the we have smartphones and things are being recorded and things are being you know we it's up for us and the pandemic just sort of shut everything down so people kind of couldn't we, we didn't have access to our ritual distractions
2: mm-hmm.
1: so it was a real opportunity we had attention on 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 these issues and we i feel like it's certainly the what i can do is is as an artist or as a performer and as a writer is to offer offer something that will allow people to who want to have a conversation about when is it okay to laugh and here's why i don't think you should be laughing at that for it to to become something something healing Mm -hmm. that brings people together
0: Yeah, and that facilitating in that, those talk backs in Mm -hmm. a way that helps not just the artist, but the audience as well, I think, to process a lot. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Thank you for all of us. I've truly loved our conversation and learning more about the project and you. Um, And yeah, just thank you again for joining the podcast.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for bearing with my long answers. No,
0: not at (laughs) all. This is
2: great.
0: Thank you for listening to the Institute Podcast. Listen to other and upcoming episodes by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Visit our website, iah.unc.edu, to find past episodes and transcripts. You can also learn more about our upcoming events, programs, grants, and leadership opportunities for UNC Chapel Hill faculty, and read stories that feature our Arts and Humanities Fellows. Thank you for joining us.